Hey guys, I am Caleb Giddings, and you are watching or listening to Gun Day Brunch. And as you can see, neither Jack nor Keith are here today. Uh, Jack's apartment is on fire again. That may or may not be true. And Keith is committing war crimes in a Cessna. Uh, and uh, before we get on to this episode, I just want to thank our sponsors for being lovely sponsors. And now if you're watching this, you can look at a banner. All right, now that that's all done, let me introduce our guest, who is my dear friend, Annette Evans. Annette, tell these people uh, who you are, what you do, and why they should care. Hi, everybody. I am Annette Evans. I am the voice behind On Her Own. And On Her Own is a place where we explore all of the things that it means and that it takes to survive and thrive as women, especially women who might not necessarily have traditional support structures like husbands or brothers or fathers to help them along in life. I have a long and extensive background in the gun world where a lot of people know me from, but I've also spent the last four, five, six years uh, really studying defensive handgun use as well as Brazilian jiu-jitsu combatives, pretty much everything that's related to what it takes to survive and thrive. So, and Annette will undersell herself on this, uh, but she is, you're B-class in USPSA, right? And yeah, it's been a while since I've shot it, So, but I ended as a B-class shooter. I'm going back. So B-class in USPSA, you're a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu blue belt, uh, and you've been to ECQC how many times? 38 or something? ECQC twice, EWA twice, AMIS twice, uh, I Cecil Birch's immediate action jujitsu, I stopped counting. So you've probably, you have got to be in like the 1% of people who have tregged with Craig Douglas, like in terms of repeat customers. I haven't been to as many ECQCs as some folks, but he did let me take my last one with a flashbang bra holster, which I think says something. Which we're gonna get to that. We're actually gonna talk about that because that's part of um, part of this conversation that we're having today. Is you know why are women self? Why are so many self defense products that are marketed towards women uh, dog shit? And I use that term very specifically because so outside of the firearms industry, there was for a long time this idea that when you were marketing a traditionally male item to a woman you would shrink it and pink it uh so that's how you ended up with girly hammers that were and this was a real thing like tool sets marketed to women with like pink handles that were you know low quality and you know two-thirds the size of a normal sized hammer and i i, I will qualify this uh, right off the bat because i don't want to get hate mail i mean i do but i don't want you to get hate mail um there is nothing wrong with selling pink guns or blue guns or anything like that. I don't care what color a thing is. I care that it works. And if there are women who want a uh, a perfect example of this, do you remember, and we'll use this to, right, hang on, I'm getting so ahead of my skis. So we've established Annette's qualifications. She's awesome. You guys should go follow her on Instagram at? On Her Own Life. Okay. And Facebook, it's the same, On Her Own Life. Yep. If you're and if you're watching the visual, there's also like you can see her logo behind her, which I have one too on my patch panel, which you can't quite see as well, but it's there. So go follow Annette. She's awesome. You know, her training resume speaks for itself, her skills speak for themselves. Uh, and she has put in the time and work to become a legitimate subject matter expert on this stuff, which is why when I was like, I need a co-host for this week and I got a bone to pick with self-defense products, I'm getting a net. Um, <laughs> because some people's first exposure to you may have been your review of the uh, dangerously shitty lethal lace holster thing. So talk yeah. us through that a little bit uh, or what you can talk about that. So the Lethal Lace product, and I, I still have trouble calling it a holster, was essentially a long piece of stretchy lace with some pockets in it. And the idea was that you would put your gun in the pocket, hold it against where you wanted to carry it on your body, conceal it on your body, and then wrap the rest of this really long sort of lacy lace ace bandage around you and then clip it to itself to hold the gun to your body. That was how, the idea. How well did it work? It didn't. Yeah, it did. Surprise! Um, I I I test a lot of these concepts out with a blue gun first, because uh, 
I really don't want to die. Because you don't want to shoot yourself when it fails to impede trigger motion. Or when it falls. Yeah, I just don't want to die. So I try with a blue gun and I start with an unweighted blue gun, which should be about the easiest test to manage. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't keep that gun in the product on my body through, you know, I would do things like sit down and stand up a couple of times or squat down on the floor and get up. Uh, run run a little bit you know the kinds of things that I expect an ordinary mom to do an ordinary office worker to do someone who like rides public transportation so yeah. nothing like I'm not doing cartwheels I'm, I'm just trying to do some everyday motions maybe compress into a smaller time frame but it was obvious even just kind of standing around in my office that it wasn't going to last long and it proved true yeah also don't ride public transportation that's gross that's where um uh that's a completely different episode so <laughs> what you're saying is you try to realistically like before you even get to pressure testing something and so guys so i'm gonna explain some terms here because i suspect that the show will hit a demographic that we don't normally hit um and when we say pr- there, there's different types of testing all right there's environmental testing which is what annette just described that's where you know i get a new holster i put a blue gun in it and i sit at my desk i pick up my kid i do things like that that's environmental testing you're testing how this product exists in its environment the next level of testing if a product passes environmental testing the next level of testing that we go to is pressure testing this is where we put this product through the extremes of its likely use cases right you know a product can pass environmental testing successfully then it gets into pressure testing and it can fail miserably so pressure testing would be then going to a class like ecqc or you know in the case of you know certain types of guns shooting them in matches shooting them in classes also getting into gunfights counts but we try to accomplish the pressure testing before we're betting our lives on stuff um Mm -hmm. you don't want the pressure test to be when a crackhead is trying to stab you you want to do that again in a in a class environment in a training environment or something like that uh to draw an analogy to cars which most people would understand your environmental testing is like getting your driver's license pressure testing is going to like a cool guy driving school and then real world application is using those driving skills to serve to not get in a car crash when somebody does something crazy on the road so once you completed your environmental test so if the, you know the lethal lace failed environmental testing yep what would be so and this gets us to the the flashbang holster because this is an example of a product that's marketed to women that Many people don't understand uh, because it turns out it's it's weird. It's it's weird, and I think because it's adjacent to boobs, and we're all a little <laughs> bit immature when we're talking. I no, I think. Hang on, I think this ha- this is actually a factor because people think of something that attaches to your bra, and it's like in that boob area. It's harder for people to have a serious conversation about it because they're thinking about boobs. I know that's true for me. And they have a lot of misconceptions about like what bras are and how they work and what they're able to contain or not contain. Well, let's be real. I bet you some of the people who are, you know, saying the flashbang sucks have never seen a bra in real life, but I didn't, I didn't say that. Um, But so let's talk about the flashbang, like what, and also the name doesn't help. The name was very intentionally chosen, kind of doesn't help, but (laughs) what else are you going to call it? Titty holster? Anyway, I, I think Flashbang is probably a much better name than some of the other names that have come out there. And it's actually not the only holster even that company makes that attaches to a bra. Hmm. So you can't even call it a bra holster because there's a couple of different variations on that. All right. So talk us through the Flashbang. Explain. So the Flashbang is uh, it's a clamshell Kydex holster. And instead of inserting your, your gun into a muzzle first, like you would think of as a normal holster that you put around your waist somewhere, whether it's behind the hip or appendix, it actually clamshells over the top mm-hmm. of the firearm. And then that whole contraption attaches to your bra and sits kind of right underneath your breasts. And that's where it carries all day held between the bra band and your chest. Okay. And, and it so sits the- horizontally across your body. So the orientation, if you guys aren't uh, watching the visual version, the orientation of it is for a right-handed shooter, muzzles pointed to your left side, and the grip is pointed down. So you would just come right. So it's 
it's almost like a it's like the idea if you're thinking of orientation is if you moved across a shoulder holster out from under your armpit and just put it in the middle of your sternum kind of yep it's a very strange place to put a gun for most people it's actually probably the most uh, innovative thing that Lisa Looper did when she invented this was to put a gun in a place that nobody's ever really put a gun before See, outside people, of like a chest holster. That's yeah. That's I'm like, it's basically a, a properly concealed chest holster. I use a ish. Ish, ish. Yes. Because a chest holster draws out like a normal holster Not, because you go in muzzle first, the right. flashbang comes straight down. Which is, Which is very, very different. It is different. So, and the reason we're talking about the flashbang is because you, you know, decided you were going to do some science with violence and <laughs> see if the flashbang actually works. So you did the environmental testing and it works in environmental testing, you know, oh. it, it's, it does the things you want a holster to do. It keeps the gun secure, keeps you from inadvertently accessing the trigger and it's not uncomfortable to the point that you just want to rip it off and eat it across the room at the end of the day. I mean, no worse than anything else, including a bra. Right. That's fair. I once had a um, <laughs> question for the listeners. Uh, if you're a lady who carries a gun, I've been doing this poll. I've, I know I've asked this question on before. Which feels better at the end of the day, taking off your gun or taking off your bra? Uh, I have no experience in this <laughs> world, but I can tell you it feels better to take off body armor than it feels to take off my gun. But I don't know how that correlates. So ladies, if you're listening to this and you carry a gun uh, and are a lady. <laughs> and wear a bra because not all of us do. That not all y'all do. That's fair. And let us know in the comments, which is more comfortable to take off a bra, a bra, a gun or a bra. <laughs> anyway. Uh, all right. So moving on to past the environmental testing. So what did you do next? So I had, I, I had actually, Lisa Looper helped me out with this. I had a flashbang made for the CERT PP pistol, which is their pocket pistol version. Mm-hmm. And I took it to ECQC. So ECQC, Craig Douglas's extreme close quarters concepts. I don't know how familiar your viewers are with this class, but basically they, they we fight with guns. Better be. <laughs> we have fights with guns. We, we yeah. grapple with guns and try to figure out how to get them out when somebody's on top of you, when somebody's trying to hit you, when somebody's trying to hold your arms. So it's, you know, this, it's a worst case scenario. I think, especially for women where we really fear, you know, that guy who's going to grab you or going to like throw you to the ground and try to get on top of you. Mm -hmm. And then I tried to answer the question of, can I get to a gun in a flashbang, knowing that I can already get to a gun in appendix. I've done ECQC with traditional, you know, appendix carry, We I know the techniques, but I didn't know if they would apply to the flashbang. Right. So how was the the in-fight access with the, the flashbang? It's fine. Uh, there, there's some of this is going to be my body type. The gun in a flashbang uh, underneath my breast versus the gun in, in appendix is very, very close to each other. It's a matter of inches. That's fair. You are, uh, for those guys that you don't know, uh, I am, everybody knows I'm short. I'm taller than Annette. So not by much, but like enough that like, if I hung a gun under my chest, the difference between it and the top of an AIWB gun would be, you know, maybe three, five inches. So for me, it wasn't big. And I did discover, you know, I'd want a little bit more of a timing window that I mm-hmm. might for appendix. But appendix for me already carries a little bit more of a timing window that I need for, say, a fixed blade. Mm -hmm. So I do have to open that timing timing window a little bit more, and then it's fine. Like, there were no specific problems that we discovered. I'd say it's certainly no worse than any of the other non-traditional carry positions that have gone through ECQC successfully. So... Uh, for those who have never been to ECQC or EWO, uh, a timing window is the amount of time, the window that you have, hence window, in which you can access a weapon in an entangled fight without having your draw stuffed by the guy that or girl that you're fighting. So a good example of a timing window is you're, you have a wrist tie on your opponent or an underhook and their other arm isn't in a position to interfere with your draw. You have a good timing window here 
or you've used uh, you know dirty boxing, stand up fighting, or something to create enough space that they can't get at you. Now you have a timing window to get at that gun, and your the amount of the size of that window is going to be dependent on your skill at drawing the gun, uh, holster location, retention issues, like the timing window that I need to draw from a Safari Land SLS gun bucket, like a duty holster, is way smaller than the timing window I would need to draw, say, from a, a, a deep concealment, like appendix carry, but below the belt line, you know, LCR kind of deal. So that, that's always going to be an issue. It's everybody who has ever been through one of Craig's classes has heard the phrase poor timing decision. Mm -hmm. And that is certainly possible with the flashbang, but also with anything else. Yeah. And I was able to, there's video, this is on InRange, there's video of me uh, going against another woman approximately my size who's trying to fight me. And by the rules of by the rules of the game, she can't just go by straight for my gun. Rules of ECQC. <laughs> by the rules of ECQC, she can't just go. I know where her gun is. I'm going to try to stop it. She has to be play fair and only try to go after my gun when she sees it or feels it. Something similar to that. Mm -hmm. uh, I shot her in the head with Rude. with my gun. So out of the flashbang. So it is absolutely possible to use it in that sort of worst case scenario. So, and the reason why I want to talk about the flashbang, and again, if you guys want to uh, watch this content, uh, it's on the InRange uh, YouTube it's channel. It's on the InRange YouTube channel. Cool. Didn't you also, like, fight a guy with a stun gun and a bunch of other stuff? Yeah, that's on the InRange series. There's a playlist on my YouTube channel, which is also on her, on her own life, that has all of these. I've, you know, I do stun guns. I've looked at the kitty cat keychains. This is kind of one of my passions. <sighs> and that's why Caleb has me here, is playing with all these self-defense tools toys tool, that, that are marketed particularly to women that thing makes hey, me want to vomit um it is let me attack like the governor of new york or something or some other like politician with one lately oh, i have no idea um, it, it didn't so, work out well <laughs> no because the kitty cat keychain especially is bullcrap look if you're gonna stab somebody don't stab them with a piece of flexible plastic all right it doesn't work Mine's metal right. Oh, yours is metal? I have cool. one. It's metal. Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah. Again, not, that's metal? It's metal. Uh, I, I wouldn't, it, it, it sucks. On a scale of, you know what? I, you know what? I kind of want to get one of those because I want to stab ballistics gel with it uh, and just see, like, how hard would you have to hit something for that to actually work? And so, uh I got to remember the audio guys because that's where a lot of our views come or listens come from. The kitty catch keychain, it looks like shitty brass knuckles that only go around two of your fingers. And it has two pointed cat ears that are made out of metal that are supposed to be used for stabbing people. And what it looks like to me is crappy brass knuckles that don't actually impart the force of a punch and a good way to get a degloving injury. Yeah, even my cat's not a huge fan of them. So right. people who are listening, my cat just decided to visit, as she does on podcasts. Well, that yeah. makes it even better because Keith's cat often sometimes visits uh, the conversation as well. So well, the kitty catch keychain is a good example of a dumb product because the would you agree that the force you would have to apply to a strike using that, you would have to strike them hard enough that you should just punch them and you would, be, you would probably be better off just applying a closed fist punch if you have the ability to apply a hard closed fist punch is it a force multiplier uh it, it will you would probably hurt yourself before you significantly hurt somebody else so you're better so i, I think what i'm trying to get at is so you're better off of, punching them right so the amount of force necessary to make that effective would actually damage your hand so you might as well just punch them with a closed fist and go you know learn to learn some boxing yeah if, right. if those are your only choices, right. I mean, some people say, well, I don't, I'm not going to punch with them. I'm just going to use them as sort of like a pressure point thing and just like jab into something. And I'm like, we have a lot of myths that we need to bust in this entire sentence. I, I wonder if people like that, you know, who say things like that didn't grow up with brothers because I don't know. I didn't, I didn't grow up with sisters, but I had friends who did. And they would constantly be like giving their sister a dead arm or like grabbing pressure points and stuff like that. And I'm like, 
it didn't it didn't actually incapacitate you when you were 12 what makes you think it's going to work on a 28 year old cokehead so what's interesting is you know i'll run across women who said well i tested this against you know my neighbor or my husband or my brother or something and i'm like a they they may have been being nice because that's definitely a thing that happens you know they want you to feel empowered and feel like you have a tool that's going to help you yeah we're making a point here or sometimes yes they do think it actually hurts the problem is frankly they're kind of a wimp well and also there's the i'll I'll even throw an option c out there is it hurts them enough to make them want to stop letting you test it but it wouldn't hurt them enough to make them stop strangling you if they were trying to kill you and those are two very much those are two completely different levels of pain because uh I have been in situations where I've hurt myself or I've got, or I've been in, I stepped on a Lego in my kid's room. Oh. It hurt me enough, or it was like a toy Smurf. It was a, a toy Smurf. I stepped on a toy Smurf in my kid's room. It hurt me enough that I wanted to stop walking. But if the house was on fire and he, I was trying to get to his room, I would run across an army of Smurfs to get to him. So you guys have to understand that pain experiences in a playful environment are not the same as pain experiences when you're adrenalized and that is science you can't fight that science yeah and that's you know also assuming that the person on the other end of the pain you're trying to inflict has a low pain tolerance as opposed to a very high one you know we talk about shooting people and it's like not the first time somebody's been shot Mm -hmm. some of that's psychological some of that's like oh that hurt but i know it's not that bad so they're willing to go on they're like it doesn't hurt that much after all it's not surprising and you know drugs are a thing so drugs do be a thing drugs are a thing and they can in fact make people either not feel the pain or ignore the pain so pain compliance is just a bad idea and a enormous number of women's self-defense products are all based on pain compliance and the worst part about that is sometimes they'll work they'll work because you tested them on your neighbor brother husband friend and he went, ow, 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 that really hurt in that playful environment that you're talking about, Caleb. Mm-hmm. Or they'll work sometimes against a bad guy who's just not very determined. Right. So we have so many, uh, I, I, one of the other products that I wanted to talk about as being especially aggressively shitty is, and neither of us have used one of these, but this is a case of, I don't need to jam a fork into my eyeball to know that it's going to hurt. Um, do you remember on Instagram a couple of months ago, uh, some influencer got sent like a gun that shoots pepper balls. The burn up pepper ball gun. The what? The burn up pepper ball gun. Yeah. It, all the downsides of a gun with none of the upsides. Yeah. Like it's the same size and shape of, uh, it's the same size and the shape of a gun. It's orange. So you have to, con- so you'd have to like be able to effectively conceal it because walking around with it strapped to your hip openly would make you look like a Dorcas Maximus. Um, and the pepper balls it shoots aren't even that effective. Like it's not going to cause immediate incapacity. It's certainly not going to cause pain incapacitation. It's likely not going to cause the level of disorientation that you would get from pepper spray. And you might get shot by somebody who has a real gun who in the heat of the moment mistakes for a gun gun. Yeah. Uh, there's a warning right in there on influencers. And this is something that several people I know have been talking about recently is just because they have a lot of followers and a big audience doesn't mean they know what they're talking about. It might mean that they do. They're out there, but they might not too. There's a, we're at a weird point where I don't want to say all of them. Because there are some people who have a lot of followers who are out there giving out good information. But there's also, like, if somebody's got, like, 2.5 million followers, if they've got, like, 15,000, that guy might actually just have a really dedicated, smart fan base. So there's or there, there's a balance in there. And this, is, this, this gets us to the crux of the episode, is why is there so much pandering in self-defense products? And... We'll talk about the women's side of it first, but then we'll also talk about like the general industry problem with it is why, why do you think that people, oh, that, oh man, I just remembered my, the, the, 
as I was thinking about pandering in the self-defense industry, I remembered these t-shirts that a major firearms manufacturer still makes that back when I had a retail store, I sold a lot of because people bought the piss out of them. And they said, not a pepper spray kind of girl on them. Still a thing. I hate those shirts. I mean, I loved that I could sell them at like 40% margin. But... <laughs> and that's why they get sold. So that's something that's important to remember. Yeah. No, those. By the way, guys, if you go into a, a store and they're selling those shirts, those cost the dealer like five bucks and we would mark them up to like $25. So like even after labor and everything else, I was making a killing on those things. Anyway, uh, and that's not an unethical business practice because you fucking bought it. So <laughs> I used, uh, anyway, yeah, we could talk about my pricing uh, and believing that it should hurt to be stupid later. Um, so but why do you think there's so much pandering to women? Like, and there's so much of the like, here's your pink pepper spray, and it's not even good pepper spray. Well, so part of it is it's not even really pandering because the people who are who are pushing these don't know any better. So there's a little bit of that out there. Mm-hmm. You know, we know you and I how much of the industry is full of people who are very, very well-meaning and not very well-educated. Yeah. So some of it is, you know, truly well-intentioned people, truly wanting you to be safe and not taking seriously the fact that, you know, they might be wrong because they, they want to make you feel better. And that's the next piece is, you know, there's a lot of feels in this industry. People want to feel safe. Everybody wants to feel safe. That's, that's what we do. That's why we're here. The problem is that there's a dichotomy between feeling safe and being safe. So again, very well-intentioned people, very well-intentioned consumers want to do the things that make them feel safe and make people feel safe. So, you know, we call it pandering, but some of it is we're selling to what they want without necessarily giving them what they need. And then you add to that, especially in the women's side of the industry, this whole idea that we just want to pat people on the head for doing like a good job. And we tell them that they're doing great work, but it's not in the form of, hey, you've got a great start. Hey, you've got a great attitude. Hey, you're headed in the right direction. We're really, really afraid of being like, I like your ideas, but, or you've got a great start, but you need to learn a little bit more, or you need to be a little bit more aware of the consequences of what you're recommending. Because you also have that little bit in there is some of these people are getting paid for this Mm -hmm. and they don't care that they're getting paid to recommend something that could end up with you dead because that doesn't hurt their bottom line. Which is to me, it's appalling. Um, I would never, I need to, I need to think about this. I'm sure I have at some point recommended a sub sub tier product that I got paid to recommend, but I've maybe not. I've, I've always tried to be thoughtful with my recommendations and I will say this, the version of me that exists today would never do that. You know, I would never be like, oh yeah, you should definitely carry a Derringer in a appendix carry holster that doesn't cover the trigger guard you know uh, carry it cocked like i would never do something like that because somebody could get killed and that would be on me like that's that's that one's on me and i got enough i got enough red in my ledger as is i don't need to worry about some idiot killing themselves because i told them to do something stupid but to that point i agree and i think that that's where i i I, as a guy I part of the I know part of the pandering that you get in women's self-defense products is twofold. And I can say one, part one is it sells and it continues to sell. Um if and, and I I if women want better self-defense products, they have to convince other women to stop buying the shitty pink cat ears and to stop buying the, you know, pepper spray that's not a good formulation and to stop buying the uh, lethal lace holsters. If you want better products, you have to convince the people 
that are buying the crappy products that those products are crappy and that they should stop buying them. Because I will tell you this, the, our industry, you know, you know this, but I'll tell the listeners this, our industry is very responsive to market pressure. And if a thing stops selling, they'll stop freaking making it, you know, if it does, or if it doesn't sell enough, they'll stop freaking making it. So I think that, you know, when you have the, you know, the Dana Adams, you know, of the world, if you want those people to either make better products or just stop existing, you have to convince people that those products are bad. And the only way to do that is to get somebody back to this whole influencer problem is you have to find an influencer who is willing to say no, and then willing to show you how it fails in pressure testing and stuff like that. So I've got two stories about that. Yeah. Those soft holsters, those soft holsters, you know, the corset holsters, belly bands that have been so popular. In the last year or two, there has been a sea change in the number of people who have demanded hard-sided trigger protection inside those pockets. Hooray. And some of that I've seen this happen live is couple of people sarah hotman was one of them tessa uh, tessa of armed and styled was one of them who went hey like this isn't cool like we can't rely on this stretchy piece of fabric no matter how taut it is to protect people from pulling a trigger accidentally through their carry method and they started putting out their and others people you know these are the ones i know best but others also started putting out there you know you could just put it you could put a whole holster inside that pocket or you can just put the holster shell inside that pocket or something else so it is possible to affect that change and you know we're all kind of responsible for that because now what i see is a lot of people ordinary people telling their friends huh you know i don't like that horse holster you have there because you don't have hard-sided trigger protection here's some products that can help on the other end uh, I saw, uh, and I think I sent this to you last night, influencer on Instagram using a uh, car holster, you know, this thing that put the holster in the center console and like pops it out and everything. And somebody called her out on it. She's and, the freaking yeah. worst. I don't know why I didn't swear there. I've already said dog shit on this episode. So I might as well just let it out. She's the fucking worst. And she's married or dating some like famous influencer guy as well. So, you know, it's like his, power influencer couple. <laughs> yeah, it, it is a gun industry power influencer couple. And like his content is like harmless trick shot bull crap, right? Like no one would look at him and be like, this is a guy I should take serious self-defense advice from. Her content is like, look at me conceal carrying. I'm like, bitch, if you wear that outside of your kitchen, I'll give you a hundred dollars for every day you've worn <laughs> that outside of your kitchen. Which, so, and you know what I would do? I would keep all of my dollars. So like, it was really cool because I saw somebody uh, call her out on it and go, this seems like a bad idea. You know, I'm really new, but I've learned like, you know, the people that I follow say that this is no good. And this influencer flat out says, well, you know, we have to have something for everybody on this platform. No, you don't. I'm like, no, no. You can just be like, this is a bad idea. Here's your something for everybody. Hey guys, look at this product. It's a bad idea. Here's why it's a bad idea. Let me show you better ways to solve this problem. I know it's just so, fr and also I like, I could do a whole episode on my car. I could just, one of these days, I'm going to tell Keith and Jack that there's no episode. We've already got it recorded or one ahead or something. And I'm just going to rant for like 45 minutes about why car <laughs> holsters are fucking dumb. <laughs> anyway, so yeah. Uh, so back to the selling, um, if we stop, and, and this also then applies to shitty products that are marketed to guys uh, or just to the gun-owning populace in general, like hybrid holsters, for example, which I had I had one of the OG um, uh, CompTAC Minotaurs. The Minotaurs? Those which, were legit. It was a good holster. I mean, it was... It was it was, it was the and best of the worst. Still the best, the best expression of a hybrid holster because it was made by people who make holsters for people who were doing things in places with the stuff and the guys, you know? So I had one of those and eventually it exhibited all the problems of a hybrid holster. And I threw it in trash and went to either straight leather or straight Kydex holsters uh, pretty much exclusively. Um, but if, if you have, if you want these bad products to stop existing, we have to convince people to stop buying them. And I do think that we are seeing a change, especially on the holster side with, you know, you know, obviously our friends, John and Sarah, who own Philster 
and have created the enigma have literally changed the holster game, you know, and if you are a woman, you don't need to buy a shitty belly band anymore because you can buy an enigma and it works, like it works really really, really well. I'm sitting here in this chair wearing one right now. Uh, So I know I will not show it to you because it's under my pants, people. Your mind's out of the gutter. Anyway, Go to a concealment workout. You could see workshop, and you could see under people's pants all the time. Yeah, <laughs> you gotta like. <laughs> I gotta be careful because I'll be like scrolling the. On, so if you're uh, uh, on Facebook and you go join their concealment workshop group, I'm scrolling and I'm like, there's a chick with her pants unzipped. There's a chick with her dress pulled up, and they're all showing their fits with the enigma. And I'm like, babe, no, I promise, this is for work. I swear. <laughs> So anyway, um, so but the other problem that we have and the other reason why uh, why the pandering exists. So in general, the pandering exists across all genders and people looking to buy guns because it continues to sell. And it continues to sell because the average gun owner populace is not educated about real world concealment and probably won't ever need to be. Um, but that's a different episode. Uh, the second reason why it continues to sell is because so this is me saying this as a dude we want women to participate in the shooting community we want them to be in the shooting sports we want them to be carrying weapons concealed we want them to be taking classes and yet when we're trying to think about ways to bring them in uh we sometimes don't ask girls like we want we we want women to participate, but then we don't be like, hang on, let's find an woman and be like, hey, what would make you feel welcome in this space? We just go, bitches like pink shit. Let's make some pink guns. Or um, or we see a woman and we say wonderful things about them and to them because we want them to stay. Mm-hmm. And we're not necessarily honest about it. I right, mean, or- any of us who have shot a match, and I hope that those oh, of you who have- class run, sweetie exactly you know just the fact that first i want to say yes going to a match for all and participating at all puts you head and shoulders above the average person but it is a good start yeah exactly excellent we're really happy you showed up that puts you ahead even finishing last place over and over again and i used to be that shooter still puts you ahead but what we do is we tell especially women who do that and show up and don't frankly do very well objectively that they're doing a great job and we don't mm-hmm. qualify that in any way we don't tell them in any way that you know there's more to it we just tell them they're doing a great job and then right. we get like the whole dancing bear syndrome that Kathy Jackson used to talk about and you know it's not there's nothing inherently wrong with encouraging encouraging someone, but you can't just tell the and the the other end of the dancing bear syndrome is you tell somebody that they're doing a great job enough and they start believing you and then they think they're actually qualified to have an opinion about stuff and that can be a problem. That's how you end up with you know this influencer chick taking her gun out of her truck and you know being a dummy because um, everyone's like, oh, good job, sweetheart, and not not a good job, no, but. When you're praising someone, especially someone that you want to stick around, this is like in every book about uh, raising a kid, by the way, is you can't just give them unqualified praise. You have to give them praise that's qualified and that's structured, and that also gives them a reason to keep working for more praise. Because you can't just say, you're the best kid ever. You have to say, hey, good job cleaning your room. Let's make sure we repeat that next week, you know, or Mm. nice target engagement on that stage you can tighten up your you know transitions or whatever but there's not uh this girl i used to uh, know would call it the condescending head pat after a good yes. run and it was like good job little girl welcome thanks for playing at uspsa hope you stay around and then you know and no. meanwhile that girl either believes the press which is one problem or even worse knows she did badly Right. And that gives, creates a whole other set of problems. Interestingly, both of those result in uh, C-class shooters teaching movement classes, which is weird. Um, <clears throat> wow. You oh, said man. that. I, I'm off the rails today. <laughs> it's not my fault. We're not even drinking. I know. This is actually water, guys. I know it looks like uh, like a Miller Tallboy, but this is actually water. It keeps the water... I swear to you, it keeps the water cooler. Um, anyway, so... 
but back to the whole women's self-defense products thing, you know, how would you, what's the path out of this as a community? How do we get better products out there for women and for the community in general, not just chicks, chicks. God, I sound like a 1950s stereotype. Well, little lady, how would you like a better holster for that Smith and Wesson J frame? No, but in all seriousness, how do we get better products out there that are marketed specifically to women? Because I'm thinking right now about a pair of leggings that just came out and those were crap. Um, like, how do we do that? How, you know, do we do it the way Filster did by just making a good product that happens to intersect with a niche that a lot of women want? Or do we do, you know, female body, God, I almost said body parts. <laughs> That's a little creepy. <laughs> My kid was up at 5 a.m. this morning, which means I was up at 5 a.m. this morning. But do we do more um, more product development specifically, you know, using uh, female work groups and stuff like that? Like, how do we get out of this? How do we get to an end state where there's like awesome products for everybody? So both. Can we have both? Yeah. Yes. Can, can yes, I have can. both? So some of this is uh, when we think about product design for women, it's a lot like... I'm gonna go back to Kathy again for a moment. Kathy taught me that being a firearms instructor for women isn't like some kind of junior position, mm -hmm. right? It, it's not some kind of like, well, it's easier or anything else. What it meant was being a firearms instructor who then has an additional specialty in looking at women-specific problems. And I think product design is a lot the same way and we need to approach it the same way is we need to make good products and then we need to make them better for women. So kind of like uh, what Walther just attempted with the PDPF. Right. I haven't had my hands on one. I've heard opinions both ways about it. And a lot like the EAA Pavona, I actually don't particularly care whether or not the end product was good. My Pavona. Hey, I have one and I love it because it's sparkly purple. And it was a good gun. Uh... It was actually a good gun. But here's what they did. They took a good base gun. And this is true for both the Pavona and for the PDPF. They took a good base gun and then they asked women and they looked at the design on what are things that women have problems with. So they're like, oh, well, there's a slide racking issue or there's a grip issue. The grips are often too large or trigger reach is often too long. And they figured out ways to fix those problems that were women specific. But what was really different about what they did than just the shrink it or pink it trick and pink it that some manufacturers have done is they took a quality based product. So like some of that is on you guys, you have to demand good quality products too. And then they made them better for women. They made some thoughtful changes and we can argue about whether or not those changes actually did the thing that they were supposed to do and whether or not women actually need them. But I think that process is really, really important. Mm -hmm. So you like, know, how do we do that? So another company that did that, they, I was just thinking of this, and they were fucking great guns, was back in the late 90s, early 2000s. Yes! The Ladysmith guns were so good. Yeah. Oh my in God, fact, they the... had to debrand the Ladysmith off of them and sell the exact same gun to men. <laughs> so the Smith & Wesson 30, hang on, we're going to look this up real quick, because I know my third gen Smiths pretty well, because that's one, uh, I think that was it. Yikes. The first Google boy, I typed in a bad Google search for that. Because <laughs> uh, I typed in, hang on, let's let me Smith. Let's reverse those terms. Smith lesson 3913. Oh, that's the first result. Yikes. www.yikes.com. But yes, it so the Smith and Wesson 3913 LS, the 3913 Lady Smith was the OG single stack nine, by the way, guys. Like everyone's like the MMP shield, which also a great gun. The OG single stack nine, like in the sense that we think of it like compact concealed carry gun, the 3913 LS. It was a DASA eight plus one nine mil on the third gen Smith architecture, and that gun box that is such a, a good gun tsw that i'm totally going to carry in a leather aid aiwb holster to make the internet unhappy that is a why would that if you're an internet man and you were made unhappy by anything that she just said you're a bad person <laughs> you're not allowed to listen to my show anymore get the fuck out a 3913 tsw oh my god the tsw guns were so good so anyway 
we've seen examples of it being done well. The Ladysmith was done so well that they had to debrand it as ladies from Ladysmith so dudes would buy it. And we saw some of that around the PDPF too, where guys were like, I don't want to buy a gun for chicks. And I'm like, then don't. It's just a gun. Yeah. And in fact, that's the triumph of a women's design to me. Because a lot of women's design in like the industrial design space is allowing for an average smaller stature, average smaller hands, average reduced strength. Well, you take that average and, you know, there's dudes who are smaller than average, smaller than average uh, hand size, small, lower than average strength for a variety of reasons. Or they just don't want to do all that work, which is absolutely fine, too. So right. if a guy wants that girl's product, that tells me an awful lot about yeah. the quality of that girl's product. You know, and I think that's, uh, uh, and you can also do things like, like, again, and this goes back to the, I don't care if it's pink. Uh, one of my cans of Palm has like a pink band around it because that was the color that was available. And I'm like, it's in my pocket anyways, but uh, if you want to buy a can of Palm with like a pink stripe on it, knocks yourself uh <clears throat> not knock yourself out you know go ahead so we have a we, we have an uh ecosystem now where there are good products that are out there that are available for women you know the or not just not sorry not available for women everything's available marketed specifically for women you know the pdpf i think was a really good example of doing that and also doing it in such a way that you know dudes weren't going to be like oh this is only for chicks you know i want you they, to be jealous unless they were stupid um <laughs> i want but, you to be jealous i want my products to be so good yeah. that you're jealous like look over at like the girl i like the girls you know i i look over at like a girl's mountain bike and be like fuck that mountain bike's better than mine son of a bitch i gotta get a new mountain bike now um but i think that and i will say this we have spent the last you know hour talking about how crappy a lot of these products are and the inherent crappiness exists and it works because a lot of people, and this isn't just on women. This is a lot of this is on guys. So my guy friends out there, if you have wives, girlfriends, significant stop others, buying them this stuff. Stop buying them shit, because I, you know what? Uh, this is the first time this thought has ever ripped through my head. But I'm gonna go ahead and take a, a guess here that the majority of crappy self defense products that are purchased for women are purchased by men for women. I, I would, I, I think oh, it's a big number. It's it's, it's a, a it, it's a big, well-meaning number. And like, like, guys, stop, stop. Like, you care about the women in your life so much that you want them to be safe, to want them to be able to save their own lives when you aren't there to protect them. And then you're buying them things that are going to get them killed. Yeah. It's like opposite. This is literally the opposite of what you're trying to do. So. Stop. Yeah. Stop buying crappy products. So, uh, and that, if there's a thing I want to put a bow on this episode of, it's the, the fastest way out of this is to stop buying crappy products plus buy good products. So when we talked about Philster, you know, and you and I are both friends with John and Sarah, we remember John, you know, when he was folding Kydex holsters in a crack den in Philly, uh, for <laughs> legal nice reasons, that's mostly not true. Uh, the crack was outside the den. The, yeah, the crack was outside the den. There's no crack in the den. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, and what they've done with Enigma as a product has genuinely revolutionized uh, concealed carry products. And I've actually, it's it's been so success, such a success that I've had people who aren't familiar with Filster ask me if Enigma is a woman's product. Like dudes have been like, is this just for women? And I'm like, nah, bro, I'm using one right now. Like it's it's on me. Am I a chick? Um, and also <laughs> you can identify you. as whatever you want. So uh, that, you know, whatever makes people happy. Um, but the two, the, the two level, like, the Enigma has been so successful that now you're seeing crappy Enigma knockoffs starting to populate into the ecosystem. And I'm not going to name any names, but you know who you people are. Stop it. Stop it. Um, but we have, we have an opportunity. I feel like we're like close to a tipping point, like the kitty bullcrap keychains and low formulation pepper spray and all of that. That's going to stay around. That's not going away. 
there will always be a market for that, unfortunately. But we can drive more people towards Enigma and Palm and these brands that are quality brands that are marketed towards women or, you know, gender neutral or whatever. And we want people what did I say in my revolver article? Somebody may want to pick something that may not be the best choice, but they deserve to have the best possible option of the things they want. So if you don't want to carry a gun, cool. You want to carry pepper spray? Great. Get the bet. We can get you the best pepper spray possible. If you want to carry an impact weapon, we can get you the best impact weapon possible, right? There are, you know, but pink flashy cubitons and uh, scratchy cat ears. That shit ain't it. So, you know, one of the things I think about a lot is we, we talk about like having it all or demanding the best. And why aren't we doing that here too? Why can't I have it all? You know, I am famous. I have a number of purple guns because purple's my color, not pink. I have a ton of them. Not one of them is purple for the sake of being purple. They're all really excellent guns. And then I have it all. I also have them the color that I want. And that's the way it should be. You shouldn't have to compromise and go, well, I want purple or I want good product and I can only get one. Mm -hmm. Like, no, no, pick the good product. We have paint. Right. Then you pick the good product. We have paint. Uh, I will, I'll close out on this, you know, cause we listed some companies that did like the marketing to, to chicks, right. And I got to stop saying chicks. My wife is going to kill me. She hates it when I say that. And it's been just, <laughs> Uh, it's so ingrained in my vocabulary and I don't even mean it in like a derogatory way. It's just like, chicks I use dudes. it. Exactly. I use chicks interchangeably with dudes, but when I want to be gender specific, that's when I say like a chick is just a, a lady dude. Um, <laughs> I'm going to put that as the, lady, at least that's going to be the episode title. <laughs> a chick is just a lady dude. Um, uh, another great example of doing it right was when glock did those tiffany blue 43s oh, and 42s yeah. it was just it was it i disagree with uh making guns that go bang any sort of shade of the color blue for completely different reasons but it's a good product that was made in an attractive color to a female demographic and that's mm -hmm. That was all that was. All right, Annette, we have been on for uh, almost an hour now. So what I want you to do again is tell the people where to find all your stuff. Give me Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, whatever it is you got. So if I am on that social media platform, you can look for me at On Her Own Life. Cool. All and right. also the website is On Her Own Dot Life. So easy oh, to find. You got a cool top level domain there, On Her Own Dot Life. Yeah. All right, so go check her out. I follow Annette on Instagram. Uh, she posts, you know, thoughtful articles about self-defense, stuff like that, uh, and same content on Facebook as well. Go follow her there. Uh, you go to her YouTube channel. She's got a playlist of some guy trying to, or her trying to fight some guy with a stun gun. Didn't go well. Uh, all sorts of fun for stuff him. out there. Went well for yeah, me. Yeah, went well for you, <laughs> not for him. Uh, all kinds of fun, good content out there. I want to thank everybody for watching, listening, liking, sharing, and subscribing. And because I know they won't have made it to the end of this episode, I'd like to dedicate this episode to Pistol Grip 44 and John Moorfield, who are by far our two shittiest asshole commentators. They comment on every episode and say mean stuff because they're douches. I'm Caleb Giddings. Thanks for watching. Annette, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me on.